You are listening to the Amazing Women podcast, where we enjoy meaningful conversations with extraordinary women. These highly successful entrepreneurs will share their stories of remarkable success and occasionally some spectacular failures. Come join your host, entrepreneur and best-selling author Rob Kopman, as he shares this hour with you and these fascinating women. Today's guest is Allison Kierman of Kierman Law. Allison is an estate planning attorney with many years of experience, and she shared some of the nuggets of wisdom that most of us need to know about estate planning. And so without further ado, here's Allison. Uh, I'd like you to tell our audience, what's the name of your firm and what exactly do you guys do over there? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So I'm Allison Kierman, and I run Kierman Law. It is an estate planning and probate law firm. We're based in Scottsdale, but we do work across the state in Arizona. You go outside of Arizona or just Arizona? So I just do work in Arizona. That's where I'm primarily licensed. I help a lot of snowbirds with their Arizona real estate or Arizona needs, but I only help people sort of with their residents here. I see. So is that a, is that a big issue for people who move here or snowbirds here? That, are there things they haven't? haven't thought of that are, are important they take care of? It definitely can be. So estate planning is sort of two parts, right? There's getting organized for your family that may be here after you pass, but it's also getting organized if something should happen to you during your life. And the big thing for my snowbirds is if they were to become ill in Arizona, do they have the documents that they need to get medical help? And does their family have the documents they need in order to provide that assistance? So making sure that you have health care and medical powers of attorney and financial powers of attorney wherever you are is really important. So for some of my snowbirds, I do less planning. You know, we don't do a complete plan, but we make sure that they have their Arizona documents in order just in case something happened to them. Are most of your snowbirds that come here, are they uh, older? They're definitely older. You know, I'm constantly impressed to some people. They have the ability to have multiple residents and homes in multiple places at various ages. And it's because, as you probably know, they've done good investing and financial planning throughout their life. So some people are older, but I really, you know, I help people at all ages. And I think that you can see financial success and good choices with money at all ages. Oh, okay. And uh, just just to be safe here, I, I know most people know what a snowbird is, but I'm sure there are people listening who don't. So let's give them a, a short, clear-cut definition. Uh, what do you see as a snowbird? Be polite sure, now. Sure, I would say colloquially, um, a snowbird who is someone who comes to Arizona from October to March or April when we have beautiful weather here in Arizona, and their homes in the Midwest or in the North somewhere are cold. So they're looking to avoid the snow, so they've flown south for winter. <laughs> That's a great definition. I like that. Now, I know I'm a financial planner, so I work with people all the time with their money. And uh, one of the first questions I ask them is, do you have an estate plan? Do you have a trust? You know, do you have all the documents? And, and, and I would say about maybe half the people say yes. And then out of the ones who say yes, I ask them, well, do you know where they are and are they funded? Do you have all your properties in there? Is your house in there? Is your life insurance in there? Is your investments in there? Whatever else there is. You know, do you have a power of attorney? Do you have all that stuff, a durable a will, whatever you call the different things? And, and then I hear them say, well, yeah, well, we updated it about five, six years ago. And the husband says, and the wife says, no, I think it was closer to eight years. 
<laughs> and I look at them and I say, okay, well, before we sit down and really do a plan for you, I think you need to get your trust in order and then put everything and put everything in it, get it checked, make sure it's good and, and make sure everything that belongs there is in there. So what are, there in, are the crucial items that need to go into a trust and why is it so important? I know why it is, but other people don't. Sure. Well, Rob, you've already done half my job. So congratulations. Um, helping clients sort of understand the importance of their documents and how they work in the real world, sort of aside from just the paper, is really important. For most people, the most important thing to have in your trust is your personal residence. This seems pretty obvious, and it's often done in the first instance. But if you refinance, your house comes out of your trust and you have to take action affirmatively to put it back in. That's the biggest issue I'm seeing with people right now is the rates are really good, which is great for you financially, but we also have to close the loop and make sure that the property is properly titled. You know, aside from that, the biggest thing I see is small businesses, right? You have a personal LLC business account, great for taxes. Your advisor may have recommended it, good for asset protection with rentals. But again, we have to connect that asset to the trust somehow. Um, so you have to do an assignment of your member interest to your trust in order to get the full benefit from your plan. So besides taxes, will a trust uh, protect your assets from either you know, creditors, bankruptcy, legal, various kinds of litigation? Does it really do much there or is that a fallacy? I think there are mixed opinions on that. I think of it sort of in your present life as layers of responsibility and layers of protection, right? A trust is going to give you some protection. Insurance gives you some. Having assets in an LLC, all of these are creating layers of protection so that if you're sued, it's harder for collections to happen. I think the big emphasis here is on collections. But the real benefit you get is protection for your heirs, right? The trust is protected from their creditors and their potential bankruptcy issues. So you're doing the planning for a long-term protection for your family. All right, now there's something that I'm sure a lot of people never consider. You know, protection for your heirs and their property and their whatever they have uh, and their taxation. Um, can you elaborate on that just a little bit? Because I bet you 75% of my listeners are going, what? I never, I never thought, I never heard of that. So enlighten us. Sure. So the beauty behind the trust is you're sort of putting your assets in this, I think of it as a magical lockbox, right? You're putting it in the lockbox, you have ownership of the lockbox during your life, and when you pass someone, your family or other loved ones, they step in and take over ownership. But the thing is, is that sometimes our family doesn't always make the best choices. It could be because they're young and haven't reached responsibility, or just because that was something that never fully developed as part of them. And that's totally fine. I say there's no judgment at the office. But what you want to make sure is that the asset passes with as much, as much protection as possible. So we do things like require your heirs to have a nuptial agreement. So make them sign a prenup so they don't lose 50% of the inheritance in the event of divorce. I have my clients' heirs take a financial management class. Require them to work with a CFP. And I also state that if they have a bad debt, so a creditor, um, failure to pay child support, whatever it may be, that the trust doesn't have to go to pay that bad debt. Because the trust is not intended to bail children out of problems, unless that's your choice, and in which case, I'm perfectly happy to write it that way. But the point is, is that you want the money to be used for good purposes um, and to move your children forward in life, but not to cover for any bad choices they may have made. 
<laughs> yeah, I know the world is full of bad choices, especially some of our kids. <laughs> okay, that, that's a pretty good explanation. We make bad choices. That's totally fine. It's just, do you want your estate plan to pay for that choice? Maybe exactly. not. Now, some people I've heard say, my idea of successful life is to pass away in debt. I want to live life and do whatever I want to do and rack up credit card debt. And then I want to just go away and, and just, it'll go, it'll go away. Now, the, does it actually go away or do your heirs have to pay off your debts if you pass away owing money? It depends on what the debt is. So the governmental statutes require certain debts have to be paid first before inheritance and distributed. So that's usually professional services. Lawyers always get paid. Um, funeral expenses, last set of medical expenses. And IRS. That you incur, right? The government always paid. Um, and it depends. You know, if you signed a promissory note promising that you would repay the debt from your estate, that has to get paid. Other things are forgivable. I have a client um, her father passed away. He took out her student loans for school. Those debts were forgiven. So some things are forgiven. Oh. Other things, if you're smart enough to hire a lawyer, they can help you negotiate down the debt. So I do a lot of, look, the estate doesn't really have anything. You know, can you work with me on this? And that tends to be pretty successful for my clients. Got it. Now, from a personal level, I have a few companies and I have an L a few of them are LLCs. And one of them has a line of credit which currently has uh, some money on, on it. I've used it to do various things. So I mean, it's not, it doesn't matter how much it is, but there's one, I have one. Um, but I know when I signed up for it, I had to sign as, my, as the corporate officer, the owner of the company, whatever, the me member in this case in LLC are members, right? Um, but I had to give a personal guarantee. The banks these days won't give anybody a loan unless you'll guarantee a person, unless you're a, a huge C-Corp. Otherwise, you need to give a personal guarantee. So is there any way of protecting that debt from my estate and from my heirs? Or will that, is that one of those things that has to be paid out of the estate before they get any money? So that is likely something will have to be paid. I, one of the things that I did for a client recently, sort of like you, they're doing fantastic professionally. They're building a new corporate office. And so what we did is we dissolved their trust. They did the financing for the new building, um, took out all the loans, started construction, and about halfway through the process, we redid their trust. And the idea was to hopefully try to avoid the trust from being an obligation or an obligor in the event something happened and that debt still existed. Whether it will work or not, still to be determined, but the strategy was to try to make sure that the personal obligation applied to the person and not to the family trust. I see. And so I, what I'm hearing behind, in between the lines here is you do the best you can, you, you know the law and you write things according to the law, but there is a little bit of gray area. And sometimes you, well, I don't want to say you get away with things, but sometimes things are, they're, they're settled in your favor and other times they're not. And sometimes it's just a crapshoot. Uh, some things are ironclad, you know, what's going to work and not work. And other times it's, well, we'll have to just see what happens when everything settles. Is that accurate? I think that is largely accurate. I mean, if you hire professionals and get professional help and are willing to pay for it, you often get something for that money. But in the same way, some people bought their house when the market was low. Some people bought the market when the house was high. And you have to have good karma in other parts of your life. And just hopefully the shakeout at the end will be in your favor. 
Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good explanation to me. So, okay, so tell me something else about your practice. What separates somebody like you who, I, I don't know you very well, but I have talked to you before. I got, I'm a pretty good judge of people, and I, the questions I ask you, I can see you know all the answers, and you know them well, so you know what you're talking about, right? Uh, and there are all kinds of price ranges out there for a simple trust and estate plan. You know, people have maybe one or two kids and they've got a house and a car and a small business. And you, you, you see a lot of things over and over that are very similar. Um, and they, a lot of people say, well, you know, I can just go online to LegalZoom and download all the documents, fill them out, and I'm good. I could do that for probably a few hundred bucks. Or I can go to a document preparer who's basically like a paralegal, I think, and they'll do, do it, but they're not a lawyer. Or you can go to somebody like you who who's a lawyer and attorney who has different level of training and expertise what's truly the difference and maybe we should address what is the risk that they're taking by not going to a, an attorney like you and doing it on their own sure so i definitely see a lot of do-it-yourself plans in my line of business and sometimes that's okay right a lot of people walk in my door and they say we're simple the documents may or may not be simple, but I can guarantee that nobody's life is truly simple, right? So what you actually want when I ask the follow-up questions is never simple. Do you want your husband's second wife to inherit? Do you want your wife's new children from a new relationship to inherit? Again, there's no judgment and whatever choice you make is fine, but the point is you need to understand your options. And that's what online services and document preparers don't do for you. They don't ask the follow-ups right? You want your house to, your spouse to inherit 100%. That's the first question. But that shouldn't be the only question, right? But what are the circumstances of that? What are the conditions? You know, I see cases all the time where dad at 80 remarried and the kids in their 60s ended up getting nothing. And maybe that is okay with you, but maybe it's not. And a good lawyer is going to walk you through the different hypotheticals and help you understand what the choices mean in real life and make the documents according to those choices. So is it, thing is, is it fair to say that people don't know what they don't know, but you get paid to know what they don't know or what they didn't think of and ask those questions? Absolutely. You know, I do this all day, every day and have for 15 years. So what this means is I've seen a lot of things and I want to help you understand what could happen and how to protect against that. Okay. Now, I know that some of my listeners are, are budding entrepreneurs. They're out there trying to start a new business, so they're thinking about it. And they've got, whether they have two employees or it's just a little side hustle, or maybe it's an Amazon business, who knows, right? One of the questions are going to be, at what point do I really need to do this? You know, somebody who's 18 years old with no property and going to school obviously doesn't need a, a trust. But somebody who's maybe 30, 35, and they've got a little bit of assets, uh, maybe they have a child, it's a little different. How, is there an easy way to know when you need to pull that trigger and say, you know what, I got to do this? Sure. So state planning is for who is left behind. So what I like to say is you might not need a trust. You need your parents to have a trust right? So you should think about who is around you that would either leave you assets or leave you responsibilities or leave you debts and get them organized. And they should be thinking the same thing about you. So I love my very first client when I started my practice was 
one of the people who lives in my neighborhood and they paid me to do their daughter's plan because she was single. She's in her forties. She owns a condo in Tucson and she was traveling the world and they knew that if something happened to her, it would be their problem. So they wanted to make sure that it was easy for them. And it's the same for everybody else. You know, when I went home for Thanksgiving, I talked to my mom about her plans because I know the burden is on me. So something happened. So I'm planning for my children to make sure it's easy for them. And I know for myself, as soon as I had kids, we needed a good plan because that for me was the trigger, but everybody has their own triggers. And, you know, one of my clients, she has a very nice handbag collection and that was important to her. So even though she's young and didn't have a lot of other things, we did a will because that counted for her. So that's different ways to think about it. That's, that's, I get it. That's good. Now I have a client that has two kids and their daughter is very, very fiscally responsible. No worries. She has always been responsible, balances a checkbook, doesn't have a lot of debt. You know, you can give her a big check and you can be sure she'll put it away and then do something productive with it later, maybe buy a home or whatever it is. But she, she's not a spendthrift, if you will. Whereas their son is a little bit more on the wild side. He's more impulsive. And if they leave him a chunk of money, he's just going to spend it in a year or two. And maybe on things you wouldn't want him to spend it on, perhaps, right? We won't go into that, but you think you know what I'm talking about. Um, so these people don't want to really, as they say, litigate from the grave, but they would like to, when they pass on, to have all their property perhaps, I don't know, maybe liquidated. And then half the money goes to one child and half goes to the other. But they want the daughter to get a check for, for that amount of money. Here you go. Do what you want with it. Take care of the taxes. It's yours. But they want the son to have some financial protections to protect themselves against himself. So I suggested to them that they do a trust and in there for his half that it's directed that they buy uh, an immediate annuity, which gives him a monthly payout for the rest of his life, which he can't possibly outlive or spend all of it because he only gets a month at a time. So I imagine that's a good use uh, of a trust. How does that work? And am I correct in thinking that that's actually fairly simple to do or is that complicated? That's a great idea. Right. Requiring an investment that gives income is an excellent way to both make sure that your children have something, right? Food and housing, right? Their basic needs are met. They can get a job or marry well for the other benefits of life. You know, but that also gives you sort of so legacy, right? Then you still have a principal at some point to give someone, could be grandchildren or other family members, and that generational trust and that generational wealth is built through the purchase of an annuity. So I think that's an excellent idea. Okay, so that works and it's relatively simple to do. All right, let's talk about probate for a minute. That's one of those areas that I see people use to scare people into doing things like don't go through probate you could lose everything it cost you a fortune of money it could take nine months to go through probate your money's locked up make sure you get this living trust so you don't have to do that and these guys they charge maybe thousand fifteen hundred dollars for this binder with things and one of them in there is a trust and and they guarantee that you won't have to go through probate and deal with that and i know that's way too simple and it's it's kind of scare tactics Tell us, what, what is probate? Is it different from state to state? And what does it really cost somebody 
in money and in time? Probate is the legal process for you to assume ownership of an asset after usually your parents have passed. It could also be siblings. There's a hierarchy in the law in terms of who inherits under the law. So it's when there has not been sophisticated planning or lots of planning. Probate definitely ranges from state to state. So on the East Coast, if you have a will, that is often considered a probate avoidance tool. In Arizona, it's not. So in Arizona, probate avoidance happens through beneficiary designations and through a trust. If you have to go through probate, it is not completely enjoyable. Unfortunately, after the loss of a loved one, nothing is enjoyable, right? There is heartache and there is pain and there is work, no matter the circumstances. So I help people with probate and I try to make it as easy as possible. And this is what I explain. In a simple case, the personal representative, so whoever is the family executor, is gonna sign before a notary 14 documents. We're gonna file them over a period of time. Wait, did you say 14 documents? 14 documents. Okay. Filed over the course of nine months, and it's gonna cost you 2,500 to $3,000. So I sort of think about it, you're either gonna do the work and the time and the money for a trust now, or your family is gonna do a comparable amount of work and time and money in the future with probate. I see. You really don't want to leave that burden for them, do you? It is a burden in particular for people who do not live in state, right? So probate court requires ink signatures. So if you either have to come and see me 14 times, that's not enjoyable, or I have to mail you something, you have to take it to a notary and mail it back to me 14 times. Also not super enjoyable. And this is while doing everything else associated with loss and also mostly grieving. So again, you're trying to get organized for those you leave behind and probate may not be in their best interest. I see. So one more technical question about probate and then we'll move on. Let's, in your case, you deal with a lot of snowbirds, right? So there are people that live six months where in Wisconsin and six months in Scottsdale or whatever, right? They're here and there. And or New York, wherever it is, let's suppose they live in a state, the normal permanent residence is in a state that does not do probate. In other words, a will is good enough. It avoids probate. But they're here six months where a will does not avoid probate. So does it make a difference where that person passes away? You know, if they drop dead in the streets of Phoenix versus Manhattan, does it make a difference? (laughs) What makes a difference, it makes a difference in two ways. So under the law, what applies is the law of the state where your primary residence is at the time of death. So it doesn't matter where you die. It matters where your home is when you die. But if you have a New York will, which avoids probate, and you own real estate in Arizona, you have to do what's called an ancillary probate proceeding. So you still have to file probate in Arizona because the New York law will not govern your Arizona property. So the short, simple answer is, do a trust, do an estate plan, and then you don't have to worry about any of that, right? It's taken care of. And go to an attorney who knows the difference between what you have to file for your primary resident state and your uh, vacation resident state, if you will, right? Because uh, if you don't know half of it, then half the trust might not work, right? You gotta know the whole package. So before you go, tell me, or tell I, like, my audience, how do people find you? Do you care what city or state they live in? Um, should they just go to your website? What's your website address? Uh, you prefer email, phone? Just give us a little uh, contact spiel. So 
So most basic information about me and the practice is available on the website, kiermanlaw.com. How do you spell that? K-I-E-R-M-A-N, the Kierman. Uh, <laughs> I didn't choose it. It was my husband's. <laughs> I prefer email. Um, I meet with clients through most of the day. So sometimes returning phone calls can be a little bit tricky. My assistant, Vicki, returns most phone calls. But my email is akierman at kiermanlaw.com. My husband's first name is Alan. So the fact that I took a Kierman was sort of an issue in our marriage. I bet it was. Well, like, I'm looking now. I could also go to your contact page and there's a form you could fill out and that goes right to, to you Absolutely. or your receptionist or whatever, right? So that's yes. another, another option. And People if you the website, I get back to every day. I try to get back within four, 24 hours, but I have a time every day at four o'clock where I respond to all new client emails and inquiries. Nice. And so I'll make sure I put all that information at the end of my show notes. So anybody listening, if you want to get a hold of Alice and just, you can always just go over to uh, the show notes from this episode and uh, it'll all be there unless you have a great memory. And you remember what she told you, where she is. <laughs> I, I don't, I, but I could always find you and I could always look, look on Google and find you. And then there's your email and you're easy to get, get a hold of. And, and these days you're not even probably meeting anybody in person, right? You're doing everything over zoom or over the phone. So I do my first couple of planning meetings over Zoom, um, but I always have to do signings in person. Right? There is no work around the in-person signing. We have safety procedures in place, a very large conference room. Everyone wears masks, gloves if it's your preference. So I do see my clients at least once, which is kind of funny. I, I have a t-shirt now with my face on it so people know what I look like <laughs> when they meet me in person and I'm sort of in full headgear. But do you really have a t-shirt with a picture of your face on it? Yes, I do. That's a great idea. I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. terrific. Uh, <laughs> there might have been some editing with the photo, but you know, that's yeah, okay. A, I'll do one, a caricature or a cartoon or something, right? So that, that's a great idea. Well, or you can get a mask that has the part that it covers that looks like what's underneath it, right? You can do it that way. I so. have also seen that, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it's it's been a joy talking to you. And I think you've imparted us with lots of good information. And you're obviously a very personable pleasant person, smart, uh, logical, uh, professional, you know what you're talking about, which is sometimes refreshing. I don't always run into people who know what they're talking about. Um, and yet, I can't imagine anybody who would be hesitant to pick up the phone or, or get on their email and contact you to talk to you. How do you feel about somebody contacting you and asking you just some general questions? Uh, are you happy to do that for people, give them information, or do you only want to talk to you know, potential clients? I talk to people all day, every day. I don't charge for that. Just this week, I helped someone who's trying to discover where his stepmother-in-law's assets were when she passed. And I told him who to call and he just messaged me saying I was, I was right and he was happy to pay me, but I don't do it for pay. I actually want to help people. So if you have questions, feel free to call. So, so you, you're actually a, a lawyer who's also a nice person. <laughs> a lot of people would think that's a rarity, right? I, I know better, but many people, you know, there's an old joke, right? Everybody hates lawyers except their own. And there's a lot of truth to that because you know, lawyers can be scary. If you're on the other side of the table, you don't like them too much, especially if they're good at what they do, right? That's so, right. Um, anyway, I'd like love to have you in my corner if I need you. So it's been a pleasure. Um, and I uh, hope everything goes well for you. I wish you the best of luck. And I will check my email to see that 
contact information for your web designer because I want to talk to her. Definitely. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate having me. I wish you all the best. And I hope all the podcast listeners are having a nice day. Thanks for joining us today on the Amazing Women podcast. Subscribe now and get the latest episodes sent to your device every week. Go to our website, theamazingwomenpodcast.com, to hear bonus episodes, download free business tools, and join our family of amazing women. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.